Welcome to Mindset, the guy podcast. This is your guy, Ronnie Fernandez, LCSW, licensed clinical therapist. Today on the podcast, we talk to Mario Guerra. Mario is, is a former mayor of Downey, California, business owner, civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army, and author of Embracing Change and Immigrant Saga. Mario, his wife, Anne, and his five children have probably made Downey their home for over the past 30 years. In this, co- in this podcast, Mario talked about his loss of some family members in a tragic plane crash and his wife, Anne, giving birth to a stillborn baby. Mario discussed how he was able to deal with these situations through faith, support from his wife, Anne, and the power of forgiveness. Now here's Mario Guerra. Okay. All right. Um, Mario, thank you for uh, for uh, joining me today. It's uh, great to be with you. <laughs> thanks. Um, you know, me and Mario met like ten years ago, and uh, he was the he was the mayor of Downey. He was a business owner, and he was also a, a deacon at at our, at our church. And um, one thing that that brought all this together was um, one time you were talking, and, and you had you had talked about some some uh, uh some traumatic stuff that happened in, in your in your life and how how you're uh, just how you're so open to talk about it just really that that left a real big uh impression on me and um i just thought it would be important for for other men to um to kind of hear your story just that you know i i think we think um you know people that are in in the public eye or people that are uh, um are um you know, city leaders have it easy. <laughs> you know that they, that they, they that everything's you know comes to them easy. But I, I think once we talk about our challenges, we're to better we better identify with people. And so um, I just want to thank you for agreeing no, to to do I'm, this. I'm glad. You know, we we all need the opportunity to be able to express ourselves. We all need the opportunity to talk about things that happen. We all have pain in our lives. There's different degrees of pain. And uh, yeah, I've had a couple of traumatic incidences in my life that, that changed the course and the direction of my life. I think the one that you're referring to is, we just call it the plane crash. And um, you know, I was, um, I was studying to be a, a pilot's license. My brother was a pilot. And uh, on a Saturday, he was gonna take my uncle, uh, Theo Manolo, that was 49, and uh, Maria Barba, my cousin, she was 12, and, and my cousin Jorge was 18. And we were all going to fly over to Catalina for lunch. And the day before, um, you know, I got called for a Little League game. I was a Little League manager at the time. So I couldn't go, and I was very bummed. Well, that day, as he was taken off from Long Beach Airport to fly over to Catalina, uh, the plane couldn't climb. And he tried to turn around. It was the four of them on the plane and tried to land on the Long Beach freeway, and, and he didn't make it, and all four of them passed away. So, you know, how we dealt with it and my, my issues, of course, was, you know, I, I, I was like amazed and shocked that why was I alive? And number two, why did our great God allow this to happen? These are beautiful people. My brother was 29 and uh, how did he allow this to happen to good people? What kind of God does that? And um, those were the anger issues that I had. Um, and, and as I processed it and as I saw um, how things were, were were progressing in my life, the one thing that I kept seeing the constant was my tia Eva. And my tia Eva lost her husband and her only two kids, 18 and 12, and her, and her husband, uh, Tia Manolo. And from the very first day of the accident, 
her thoughts were, you know, this is a terrible accident, but this wasn't God's doing. This was a terrible accident. This wasn't God's doing. So for us, um, there, I didn't know it then, but she was leading me in a certain direction. Um, I was angry with God for many years, and, and every time I thought about it, I was like, why did he allow this to happen? So for me, it was a matter of processing things. But the more I talked about it, and of course somebody came into my life and was able to talk to me a little bit more about it, and then I, all the answers were there, at least, how to deal with this. One of them was watching my T.I. and seeing her faith journey. And if her faith can get her through something like that, who might argue there's got to be something to this faith business? And uh, so that's kind of started my process and, and, and opening me up to, um, you know, what's, what was going on in my life. Uh, but then uh, also I had to evaluate, you know, I was spared that day, so what's my calling? Why am I here? And how do I get through the pain of losing my brother, but how do I get through of the guilt that I'm still here, that I was supposed to have been with him and I would have been gone. And so everything that I've done since that time, I think is somehow in remembrance or honor, if you will, honor is probably a better word, uh, of my brother and, and my family members. Wow. So that was, that was one of the, that, that changed my life forever, as a matter of fact. And how, how were you able to, to either deal with it or to cope with it? Well, at, at first, you you know, uh, like any, when you lose a loved one on there, it's it's just it's just an unbearable kind of, kind of pain. But every day, it doesn't get better. Uh, there's some days even further down that are worse. Every time there's an anniversary, every time there's a birthday, every time for one of them or, or something reminds you of them. You know, I'm a big plane nut. Uh, I couldn't fly anymore because my mom, it would have, you know, broken her heart, to, scared her to death uh, to try to, you know, to lose another son in a plane crash. So I stopped flying, at least uh, I stopped flying uh, myself. Uh, but um, so, so you deal with it uh, through faith, you deal with it through reading, you deal with it through talking to others uh, and, and talking things out sometimes how you feel uh, is very helpful. Uh, you know, I was blessed. I, I, the Holy Spirit was upon me when I found my wife. And my wife was catechized and had a strong faith. So she was able to lead me in a certain direction on there just by the simple questions and just her being there. But to me, I got through it um, just by converting myself and opening my heart uh, to let others into it. And number two, to let others help me because us men were big, strong, macho guys. And especially as Latino men, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to bear everything, um, you know, and, and, and persevere and, and be there for our families. Well, that's okay and good, and that doesn't change anything. But I think I was able to, to, to talk about it and, and had people in my life that helped me through that. Wow. That was probably the biggest point. How, how, was, um, how was Anne able to uh, support you um, through that process? She, she it very gently she brought me to the faith. For example, she, um, you know, we were married and we had young kids. Well, I wasn't going to go to church, you know. I mean, I know it's interesting. I'm an ordained clergy now, years later, but I was mad at God. So I wasn't going to go to God. I wasn't going to go to church. So, but her, her faith by leading as an example to our kids and to me uh, was exactly what I needed. So she would go to church with the kids when they were little. And the job, their job was to come wake up dad so I can watch the football games at 10 o'clock on Sundays, right? Sundays was for football, not for going to church in my eyes because that God had abandoned my family and I. So it took from the mouths of babes. One time our five-year-old son 
came up to wake me up. And she goes, Dad, don't you love God? And I said, well, what do you mean, son? Of course I do. He says, well, why do we go to church to thank God and you don't? Well, as a man, you need to lead as an example to your kids. So guess what? The following Sunday, I went to church. I didn't know why I was there. I didn't want to be there. You know, they're standing, kneeling, standing, kneeling. What the heck's going on? I wasn't <laughs> catechizing the faith. I didn't know what it was supposed to be going on. But I found a way to try to cheat the system. Okay, I noticed after a couple of weeks, because I had to go, because I had to be a man and be there as an example to my kids. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be there, but I had to be an example, right? Because the man part and the father part overrides everything else. So, but I noticed that, hey, you know what? I like that. I like people. There's that guy standing in the front door welcoming you into the church on there, that usher guy, the hospitality minister. I go, you know, I could do that. Number one, I like people. But number two, I could take me longer to get to the pews. You know, I can cheat a little bit of time of sitting down, right? And so I volunteered for that, okay, for all the wrong reasons on there. And then as it turns out, so I did that for several months. And then I realized, hey, there's that collection thing. It's kind of like halftime of the mass, you know? So, hey, I should volunteer for that because I can get up and waste a little time on there. I can get up and do things and, you know, I kind of get to stretch my legs in the middle of the mass. So, again, I volunteer for all the wrong reasons on there. It was self-serving. It was just for me. But then something happened. Then they started having meetings for hospitality ministers and ushers. And I decided to go to a couple, okay? Just, okay, I needed to do this and so forth. And then you start seeing people and you start talking to them. You start hearing people's faith journey. And slowly but surely, which I now find is the word of God helping me and, and bringing me in closer. So I just needed to be open to open up my eyes and my heart to see what was going on. But I noticed that I was drawing to this something, this faith business. And, and what was this? So to cut a long story short, you know, later on, I, when I got more involved in my faith, the more you learn about your faith, the, the stronger you are as a person. And that's what kind of brought me to the church in the first place. And so what, um, so if somebody that, somebody that goes through a similar situation where something tragic like that happens and even they have some sort of guilt, what, what type of advice would you give them? Well, first of all, find somebody that you can talk to. Uh, find a confidant, find a mentor. Um, you don't have to be in it alone. You know, some of the, the, the hardest moments, that's, that was probably one of the hardest moments in your life. But, you know, look to be able to, to deal with it uh, you can get help. You can talk to your spouses. You can talk to your family member. Talk to your best friend. And and as men, it's it's okay. You know, we rationalize it as you know we we can't be so people see us cry. We can't show signs of weakness. Uh, well, a strong man is is open and lets himself be vulnerable. So to me, that was the biggest change in my life to be able to talk to others. So that's what my recommendation. I think. Find some things that you can help you move yourself forward. It never goes away. Uh, I mean, it's been several years now since the plane crashed, but the anniversary every year is always real painful. You see certain things. I surround myself with airplanes and, and things like that. So whatever draws comfort for you, you know, but and sometimes talking about it, I talk about it freely to my kids because I want them to know that story. I want them to know what happened in their family that changed that. Um, and, and, you know, I had, we had another moment in our lives that that gave me a different direction as far as how not to act okay for that was when the plane crashed I, I there's so many lessons i learned about things i should be doing i could be doing but uh, we had a stillborn baby uh, my wife and i 
And so we're there in the hospital, and this is before uh, all the new modern technology. And finally, the nurse comes in and says, you know, you, you have to do something with the baby. You have to go to a mortuary. You have to do something to, you know, take care of the situation. Well, I was a young man in my late 20s and obviously never had been in charge of a funeral or anything like that. I mean, we were still, still grieving from a few moments ago when the death of our baby. So I picked up the phone and I called the rectory, the Catholic church uh, with the priest on there. One of the priests had answered, you know, I asked him, I go, this told him this is what happened. Is there anything I needed to do? And very cold, very callous. No, it's nothing for you to do. And well, I talked a little bit more. I didn't say anything. I go, well, can you recommend a Catholic mortuary or mortuary? What do I do? And very cold, very callous, you know, hey, go ahead and uh, look at the back of the bulletin. Any one of them will do. And I remember hanging up the phone and feeling so empty, so alone. This is one of the few times in my life where I thought I needed a priest. And uh, he wasn't willing to give me the time. Now, I've forgiven him many times over and he's passed away. God bless him. But I just remember thinking he didn't know my situation in my moment. I didn't know his. He could have been in the middle of something, too. But my, the lesson to me was that I would always make sure to be there for others. Okay, analyze the situation. Don't be looking over somebody's shoulder to see if something better is in there. Be involved. Embrace your situation. Embrace the moment that you're talking to and the person because that human being is asking you for help for a reason. So don't look beyond that to see what else you can do. You have an opportunity there. So that deeply affected me in and, and, and the good way. At first I was angry, but in the way that I said, I will never be that person to somebody else. So I catch myself because we're all human. So I catch myself and I was like, hey, am I doing that? And uh, so those two complete ends of the spectrum, if you will, for me, but it, it taught me my life lessons that have impacted my life uh, so much. Wow, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, <laughs> What, one, one thing I, want, I really want to get across is how, how we have challenges in our life and how the, the need to, to flip it, mm -hmm. to, to make, to really turn those challenges, challenging situations into blessings. And, and, I, and I see in a lot, a lot of men, a lot of people in general, how we take those, those certain circumstances, the challenges in our life, and how, they, how, how it beats, beats people up. Right. It, it, it beats them up inside. How... How were you able to do that? How were you able to just kind of? It, it, I'll tell you, for, for, for many years, it was, um, it was four or five years where I was angry. And I didn't take it out on anybody. I didn't do anything terrible from that. But it was painful. And I didn't know what direction my life was. The, the interesting part about that whole story about the plumbing crash and, and our son and so forth, and going back to church, you know, it, it, it obviously changed me and made my life easier because I was able to open up my heart to God and, and to have a faith journey. But the biggest part is, well, after I became ordained, I feel that everything I do is in honor of my brother. Uh, so, I mean, we started a foundation to be able to do that, to, to uh, the Diaconia Foundation, which means servant, uh, to do all the things that, that Louis uh, had wanted to do, and he died at a young age. So I feel that my life, all the things that I've done are to help glorify his memory and, and his service. Uh, and that's kind of, that's been a real saving grace. When you do something, some people, when you get involved in a way to help others, uh, it doesn't have to be from a tragedy, but when you help other people, um, first of all, it's okay to feel good. 
it's okay to, to get your hands dirty in a positive way. You know, we used to go to the orphanage down in Tijuana, and, and it, was a, it was a great day. You're exhausted, you're tired, but you're smiling because it's okay to help others. You know, and sometimes we, we kind of forget that, you know. Um, I had a, a, a bishop that I have a lot of respect for, though. He says, you know, it's okay to feel good. It's okay to help others. He goes, but how we change the world is through social justice. You know, not necessarily, you know, feeding one mouth at a time, which is a great, noble uh, gesture, one, one mouth at a time. Um, so I've worked a combination of that because uh, my brother inspired me, continues to inspire me, and Tiaeva did. So you, the point, I guess the bottom line is you can turn a, something really, really bad into a real positive in your life. And I think that's some of the things that got me through, was being able to turn things around um, and, and see what direction I want to go. So I've, I've enjoyed sharing uh, my talents and gifts, um, and it's all the glory to God and all to, to my brother and my family that, that did that to me. Yeah, I think it's really important that you share a story, especially with the faith, um, just because it, it gets a lot of bad uh, press. And, and when we hear the, the, the process of, of, of that strong faith, I, I think we don't, we don't hear that enough. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes it's again the big tough one. Tough guys sometimes, as men, we're supposed to have we have a different image. I I'm the chaplain for the Downey Police Department, and I ride along regularly with the police officers. Um, you know, I was there when tragically when uh, uh, Officer Ricky Galvez was murdered in the parking lot there um, of our police station. So it's interesting, guys, because one of the times I I try to ride with different officers every week because I want to get to know them and I want them to have the comfort to be able to talk to me if they have other issues and so forth. And I noticed that somewhere in the first half hour of our ride along, you know, they're, they're real cautious. Okay, they got the chaplain, you know, they got to act mm -hmm. a certain way in their mind and so forth. So believe it or not, and, and so somewhere in the first half hour, I find a way to say the SH word, okay? Somewhere in there. And you should see these officers all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this guy's a normal Joe, you know. <laughs> so because they're thinking of chaplain, they're thinking of the deacon, uh, and then all of a sudden again, I, I don't cuss, but I, I I say that you know word somewhere in the sentence, and I'll tell you, it's just like, oh, okay, <laughs> this isn't going to be such a long eight hours tonight. This guy's normal. So I think sometimes is is okay. So the perceptions are if you're if you have a faith-filled family or you're faith-filled uh, in your life on there that you know you're different. And, uh, you know, you've got to be this Holy Joe's and so forth. Hey, I, I sin as much as the next person. I try to be conscious of that and ask for my forgiveness because uh, we're all imperfect in, in that way. But on the other hand, we're all perfect in God's eyes. And, and um, through sharing that faith um, in the witness, you know, we're all witnesses to God's goodness, just how we treat each other. You don't have to go to church to do that. It's a combination of things. We believe, like, for example, in my faith, uh, Catholicism, we believe that we witness, we evangelize our faith, how we live our lives. That other people can see that on their oh, you know, that guy's got something on there. What is it? Oh, he's Catholic. He's Catholicism on there. So all the different faiths have it, but they all have the good tenement of, of goodness in there, and it's to help others. And I think that's how we men get through things is, you know, we, we're fixers. We want to fix things. Yeah. And sometimes we can't fix ourselves. And, uh, you know, we have to be passionate about what we're trying to do. But when you're in pain and, and, and we turn to other things, we turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol, we turn to other, you know, other things. So, 
But anyways, how we deal with it, I think, is real important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just again, seen it in many cases where um, we focus on the negative, and we, it kind of we focus on people that the people that are not there that we think that they're going to be there at, at at certain certain crises in their lives. Yeah. Um, uh, were you, how were you able to deal with that? Because I know through experience, like we think that certain people are going to be there, and life just kind of goes you know you know it depends on you know the expectations we have for others uh, sometimes gets us in trouble or, or lets us down because we're putting expectations on other people that maybe don't have the same uh, expectations of themselves so that's how we get disappointed at times uh, when we're looking at others and counting on them and then things happen um, so I think that you know that story I told you about baby Manny that's happened several times in my life on other situations where you're counting on other people uh, to be or to be part of you. Um, and it doesn't get easier, but and it's still disappointing. Uh, and it's still, uh, I mean, nothing was more hurtful than that day, that particular day. But the power of forgiveness is what allows us to go forward. I mean, I, you know, I've had, I mean, being in the political arena, uh, you have people that have called you names. There's, you know, websites that, the terrible th- websites that are put up about you and, and things that are lies, including people of faith, I mean, <laughs> and, and so forth. So uh, I think that's a disappointment is, you know, that the, the people that, especially with your family, with God in your life on there, you set certain expectations and, and those are the ones that you need to be able to count on. And uh, sometimes people do let you down and, and you get stabbed in the back sometimes too. There's a aggressive, um, you know, Things that happen in your aggressive, what a, I'm not sure that's the right word, but there's things that happen in your life on there that you look at and like, why, you know? Um, but yeah, we all need avenues and we all need people to reach out. That's the most important thing I think you and I have been talking about, yeah. especially for us men. Yeah, absolutely. And just to wrap things up, what are some things now that you, you, do, you do to cope with things, even if you've talked about them before, but just some quick kind of like, Quick, get some downtime for yourself every day, even if it's five minutes, okay? Believe it or not, two or three minutes of prayer a day. It gives you, it meditates you on there. Look for others. Look at the goodness of others. Take two minutes on there today and look at somebody else. Just look at them and think about it. What's the goodness in that person? It just changes you. And then one little trick that I've always done, this is before, after, and during, I still do it today. Every night, I always try to think, what new thing did I learn today, okay? So, and it, sometimes it gets harder, okay? You think like, God, I had a normal day, you know, the office and, and some people on there. But you learn something today, okay? By identifying it, it makes it real. So, you know, think about it. We got 365 new things a year over 10 years. It's 3,650 and, you know, 7,200, 7,300 over 10, 20 years. It adds up. We learned a lot of stuff. So, to me, that's the interesting part. So, um, and then I love reading biographies and autobiographies because I like seeing how other people handle things and uh, so it's always inspiration I mean to me on there obviously I'm in the political world but I don't it doesn't have to be political so I learn from others take a little time for yourself take some enjoyment on there it doesn't matter what kind of diets we're on and so forth everybody needs a cheeseburger once in a while <laughs> you know so uh, and our time gets shorter here so the older I get the more and more I appreciate the times that I have uh, so, you know, take a little time for yourself 
you know, go have a cigar once in a while, you know, even if you don't smoke. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so take some man time for yourself. That's so. All right. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate, sure. I appreciate your time. And, and uh, thank you. Sure. God bless you, buddy. It's always good to be with you.